Chapter Six of Andrew the Glad by Maria Thompson Davies. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, The Bridge of Dreams. And then Major Hale broke loose. Dave stood up and. Tom Cantrell's eyes snapped, and he slashed with his crop at the bright andirons that held the flamed logs. No, Major, it wasn't hell that broke up. It was something inside me. I felt it smash. For a moment, I didn't grasp what Taylor was saying. It sounded so like the ravings of an insane phonograph that I was for being amused. But when I found out that he was actually advising the mayor to refuse our committee, the use of the haymarket for the bivouac during the Confederate reunion, I just got up and took his speech and fed it to him raw. I saw red with a touch of purple and didn't know I was on my feet and... Major, interrupted Andrew Severe his eyes bright as those of Kildare, and his quiet voice under perfect control. Judge Taylor's exact words were that it seemed inadvisable to turn over property belonging to the city for the use of parties that could in no way be held responsible. He elucidated his excuse by saying that the Confederate soldiers were so old now that they were better off at home than parading the streets and inciting rebellious feelings in the children, throwing the city into confusion by their disorderly conduct, and... That's all he said, Major, that's all. I was on my feet then, and all that needs be said and done to him was said and done there. I said it, and Phoebe and Mrs. Peyton Kendrick did it as they walked right past him, and out of the Chamber of Commerce Hall of Committees while he was trying to answer me. That broke up the meeting, and he can't be found this morning. Cap has had Tom looking for him, I think, when we find him, we will have a few more words of remonstrance with him, said Dave quietly, and he stood straight and tall before the major, and as he threw back his head, he was most commanding. There was an expression of power in the face of David Kildare that the major had never seen there before. He balanced his glasses in his hands a moment and looked keenly at the four young men lined up before him. They made a very forceful typification of the new order of things, and were rather magnificent in their defense of the old. The major's voice tightened in his throat before he could say what they were waiting to hear. Boys, he said, and his old face lit with one of its rare smiles. There were live sparks in these gray ashes, or we could not have bred you. I'm thinking you yourselves justified the existence of us old Johnnies and give us a clear title to live a little while longer, reunite once a year, sing the old songs, speechify, parade, bivouac a few more times together, and be as disorderly as we damn please in this or any other city's haymarket. Tom, telephone Cap to go straight to the bivouac headquarters and have them get ready to get out a special edition of the Gray Picket. If reports of this matter are sent out over the South without immediate and drastic refutations, there will be a conflagration of thousands of old fire-eaters. They will never live through the strain. Andrew, take David up to your rooms, send for a stenographer, and get together as much of that David Kildare speech as you can. Hobson, get hold of the stenographer of the city council and get his report of both Taylor's and Potts' speeches choke it out of him for i suspect they have both attempted to have them destroyed 
Don't you see, Major? Don't you see? He tried to make a play to the masses of protecting the city's property and the city's law and order, but he jumped into a hornet's nest. We managed to keep it all out of the morning paper, but something is sure to creep in. Hadn't we better have a conference with the editors? Tom was a solid quantity to be reckoned with in a stress that called for keenness of judgment rather than emotion. Ask them for a conference in the editorial rooms of the Gray Picket at 2.30, Tom answered the major in the meantime i'll draft an editorial for the special edition we must come out with it in the morning at all odds in a few moments the echo of their steps over the polished floors and the ring of their voices had died away and the major was once more alone in his quiet library he laid aside his books and drew his chair up to the table and began to make preparations for his editorial utterances his rampant grizzled forelock stood straight up, and his jaws were squared and grim. He paused, and was in the act of calling Jeff to summon Phoebe over the wire, when the curtains parted, and she stood on the threshold. The Major never failed to experience a glow of pride when Phoebe appeared before him suddenly. She was a very clear-eyed, alert, poised individuality, with the freshness of the early morning breezes about her. My dear? he said, without any kind of preliminary greeting. What do you make of the encounter between David Kildare and Judge Taylor? The boys have been here, but I want your account of it before I begin to take action in the matter. It was the most dastardly thing I ever heard, Major, said Phoebe quietly, with a deep note in her voice. For one moment I sat stunned. The long line of veterans as I saw them last year at the reunion, old and gray, limping some of them but glory in their bright faces some of them singing and laughing came back to me i thought my heart would burst at the insults to them and to us their children but when david rose from his chair beside me i drew a long breath i wish you could have heard him and seen him he was stately and courteous and he said it all he voiced the love and the reverence that is in all our hearts for them it was a very dignified forceful speech and David made it. Phoebe stood close against the table, and for a moment veiled her tear-starred eyes from the Major's keen glance. Phoebe, he said, after a moment's silence, I sometimes think the world lacks a standard by which to measure some of her vaster products. Perhaps you and I have just explored the heart of David Kildare so far, but a heart as fine as his isn't going to pump fool blood into any man's brain eh sometimes and about some things you do me great injustice major answered phoebe slowly with a serious look into the keen eyes bent upon hers of all the glad crowd as david calls us i am the only woman who comes directly in contact with the struggling working hand-to-hand -hand fight of life and i can't help letting it affect me in my judgment of of us i can't forget it when when I amuse myself or let David amuse me. I seem to belong with them and not in the life he would make for me. Yet you know I care. But if you are going to get out that extra edition, you must get to work. I will sit here and get up my one o'clock notes for the imp. And if you need me, tell me so. The major bestowed a slow, quizzical smile upon her and took up his pen. For an hour they both wrote rapidly, with now a quick question from the Major and a concise answer from Phoebe, or a short debate over the wording of one of his sentences or paragraphs. 
the editorial minds of the graybeard and the girl were of much the same quality and they had written together for many years the major had gone far in moulding of phoebe's keen wit why here you are phoebe exclaimed mrs buchanan as she hurried into the room just as phoebe was finishing some of her last paragraphs caroline and i have been telephoning everywhere for you do come and motor out to the country club with us for lunch david and andrew left some partridges there yesterday as they came from hunting on old harpeth to be grilled for us to-day you are going out there to play bridge with mrs shelby's guest from charleston at three so please come with us now she was all eagerness and rested one plump persuasive little hand on phoebe's arm to mrs matilda any time that phoebe could be persuaded to frolic was one of undimmed joy now mrs matilda said the major as he smiled at her with the expression of delight that her presence always called forth even in times of extreme strenuosity do leave phoebe with me i'm really a very lorn old man why are you really lonely dear then caroline and i won't think of going we'll stay right here to lunch with you i will go tell her and you put up your books and papers and we will bring our sewing and chat with you and phoebe it will be lovely matilda answered the major hastily with real alarm in his eyes i insist that you unroll my strings to your apron as far as the country club this once i capitulate no man in the world ever had more attention than i have why phoebe knows that indeed indeed he really doesn't want us mrs matilda let's leave him to his immortals i will be ready in a half hour if i can write fast here tell caroline dara to hunt me up a fresh veil and phone mammy kitty not to expect me home until until midnight now while you dress i will write very well answered mrs buchanan if you are sure you don't need us major and with a caress on his rampant lock she hurried away you took an awful risk then major said phoebe with a twinkle in her eyes i know it answered the major i've been taking them for nearly forty years it's added much to this affair between mrs buchanan and me small excitements are all that are necessary to fan the true connubial flame i didn't tell her about all this because i really hadn't the time tell her on the way out for i expect there will be a rattle of musketry as soon as the dimity brigade hears the circumstances then for a half hour phoebe and the major wrote rapidly until she gathered her sheets together and left them under his paperweight to be delivered to the devil from the office she departed quietly taking mrs matilda and caroline with her and for still another hour the major continued to push his pen rapidly across the paper then he settled down to the business of reading and annotating his work for years major buchanan had been the editor of the gray picket which went its way weekly into almost every home in the south it was a quaint bright little folio full of articles of interest to the old johnny rebs scattered south of mason and dixon as a general thing it radiated good cheer and a most patriotic spirit but at times something would occur to stir the gray ashes from which would fly a crash of sparks then again the spirit of peace unutterable would reign in its columns it was published for the most part to keep up the desire for the yearly confederate reunions those bivouacs of chosen spirits 
the like of which could never have been before and can never be after the major's pen was a trenchant one but reconstructed in the main but the scene at the country club in the early afternoon was according to the major's prediction far from peaceful in tone it was confusion confounded mrs peyton kendrick was there and the card tables were deserted as the players matrons and maids gathered around her and discussed excitedly the result of her ways and means for the reunion mission to the city council the judge's insult and david kildare's reply they were every mother's daughter of them dames of the confederacy and their very lovely gowns were none the less their fighting clothes and then said mrs pate her cheeks pink with indignation and the essence of belligerency in her excited eyes for a moment i sat petrified petrified with cold rage until david kildare's speech began there had never been a greater one delivered in the united states of america he said he said oh i don't know what he said but it was i just feel <gasps> gasped polly farrell with a sob that i ought to get down on my knees to him he's a hero he's a of course for a second i was surprised i had never heard david kildare speak about a, a a serious matter before but i could have expected it for his father was a most brilliant lawyer and his mother's father was our senator for twenty years and his uncle our ambassador to the court of and mrs peyton's voice trailed off in the clamor well i've always known that cousin dave was a great man he ought to be the president or governor or something i would vote for him to-morrow or that is i would make some man i don't just know who do it and polly's treble voice again took up the theme of david's praises and think of the old soldiers said mrs buchanan with a catch in her breath it will hurt them so when they read it they will think people are tired of them and that we don't want them to come here in the spring for the reunion they are old and feeble and they have had so much to bear it was cruel cruel and to think of not wanting the children to see them and know them and love them and understand milly's soft voice both broke and blazed i'm going to cry i'm doing it sobbed polly with her head on phoebe's shoulder i wasn't but twelve when they met here last time and i followed all the parades and cried for three solid days it was delicious i'm not mad at any yankee i'm in love with a man from boston and i'm oh please don't anybody tell i said that i may not be i just think so because he's so good-looking and we must all go out to the soldiers home to-morrow a large committee and take every good thing we can think up and make we must pay them so much attention that they will let us make a joke of it said mrs matilda thinking immediately of the old fellows who sat in the sun waiting yes answered mrs peyton and we must go oftener we want some more committees it won't be many years two were buried last week from the home there was a moment's silence and the sun streamed in across the deserted tables <sighs> murmured caroline dara brown with her eyes in a blaze i can't stand it phoebe i never felt so before 
I who have no right. Dear, said Phoebe, with a quiet, though intensely sad smile. This is just an afterglow of what they must have felt in those awful times. Let's get them started at the game. For just a moment longer, Phoebe watched them in their heated discussion, then chose her time, and her strong, quiet voice commanded immediate attention. Girls, she said, and as she spoke, she held out her hand to Mrs. Peyton Kendrick with an audacious little smile. Any woman from two to sixty likes to be called girl, audaciously, as Phoebe did it. Let's leave it all to the men. I think we can trust them to compel the judge to dine off his yesterday's remarks in tomorrow's papers. And then if we don't like the way they have settled with him, we can have a gorgeous time telling them how much better they might have done it. Let's all play. Everybody for the game. And Phoebe, called Mrs. Pate, as she sat down at the table farthest in the corner. She spoke in a clear, high-pitched voice that carried well over the rustle of settling gowns and shuffling cards. We all intend after this to see that David Kildare gets what he wants. You understand? A laugh rippled from every table, but Phoebe was equal to the occasion. Why not, Mrs. Pate? She answered with the utmost cordiality. Then let's be sure to find something he really wants to present to him as a testimony of our esteem. Oh, Phoebe! trilled Polly, her emotions getting the better of her, as she stood with scorecard in hand, waiting for the game to begin. I can't keep from loving him myself, and you treat him so mean. But a gale of merriment interrupted her outburst, and a flutter of cards on the felts marked the first rounds of the hands. In a few minutes they were as absorbed as if nothing had happened to ruffle the depths. But in the pool of every woman's nature, the deepest spot shelters the lost causes of life, and from it wells a tidal wave if stirred. After a little while, Caroline Dara rose from a dummy and spoke in a low pleading tone to Polly, who had been watching her game, standing ready to score. Polly demurred, then consented and sat down while Caroline Dara took her departure, quietly but fleetly down the side steps. She was muffled in her long furs, and she swung her sable toque with its one drooping plume in her hand as she walked rapidly across the tennis courts, cut through the beaches, and came out on the bank of the brawling little Silver Fork Creek that wound itself from over the ridge down through the clublands to the river. She stood by the sycamore for a moment, listening delightedly to its chatter over the rocks then climbed out on the huge old rock that jutted out from the bank and was entwined by the bleached roots of the tall tree. The strong winter sun had warmed the flat slab on the south side and, sinking down with a sigh of delight, she embraced her knees and bent over to gaze into the sparkling little waterfall that gushed across the foot of the boulder. Then for a mystic half-hour she sat and let her eyes roam the blue Harpeth hills in the distance, that were naked and stark, save for the lace traceries of their winter-robbed trees. As the sun sank, a soft rose-purple shot through the blue, and the mists of the valley rose higher about the bared breasts of the old ridge. And because of the stillness and beauty of the place and hour, Caroline Dara began, as a woman will if the opportunity only so slightly invites them, to dream until a crackle in a thicket opposite her perch distracted her attention and sent her head up with a little start. 
in a second she found herself looking across the chatty little stream straight into the eyes of andrew severe in which she found an expression of having come upon a treasure with distracting suddenness oh she said to break the silence which seemed to be settling itself between them permanently i think i must have been dreaming and you crashed right in i i are you sure you were not the dream itself just come true demanded the poet in a matter-of-fact tone as if he were asking the time of day or the trail home i don't think i am in fact i'm sure she answered with a break in her curled lips the dream is a bridge a beautiful bridge and i've been seeing it grow for minutes and minutes one end of it rests down there by that broken log see where the little knoll swells up from the field and it stretches in a beautiful long arch until it seems to cut across that broken backed old hill in the distance and then it falls across but i don't know where to put the other end of it the ground sinks so it might wobble i don't want my bridge to wobble her tone was expressive of a real distress as she looked at him in appealing confusion and in his eyes she found the dawn of an amused wonder almost consternation slowly over his face there spread a deep flush and his lips were indrawn with a quick breath wait a minute i'll show you he said in almost an undertone he swung himself across the creek on a couple of stones climbed up the boulder and seated himself at her side then he drew a sketchbook from his pocket and spread it open on the slab before them there it was the dream bridge it rose in a fine strong curve from the little knoll spanned across the distant ridge and fell to the opposite bank on to a broad support that braced itself against a rock ledge it was as fine a perspective sketch as ever came from the pencil of an enthusiastic young beaux-arts yes she said with a delighted sigh that was like the slide of water over smooth pebbles yes that is what i want it to be only i couldn't seem to see how it would rest right away and it's just as i dreamed it and then she looked at him with startled jeweled eyes where did i see it where did you what does it mean she demanded and the flush that rose up to the waves of her hair was the reflection of the one that had stained his face before he came across the stream i think i'm frightened she added with a little nervous laugh please don't be because i am too he answered and instinctively like two children they drew close together they both gazed at the spectre sketch spread before them and drew still nearer to each other i've been planning it for days he said in almost a whisper her small pink ear was very near his lips and his breath agitated two little gold tendrils that blew across it i want to build it before i go away it is needed here for the hunting i came out and made the sketch from right here an hour ago i came back i must have come back to have it verified <laughs> he laughed softly and for just a second his fingers rested against hers on the edge of the sketch i'm still frightened she said but a tippy little smile coaxed at the corners of her mouth she turned her face away from his eyes that had grown disturbing i'm not 
he announced boldly. Beautiful wild things are flying loose all over the world, and why shouldn't we capture one for ourselves? Do you mind? Please don't. I don't think I do, she answered, and her lashes swept her cheeks as she lifted the sketchbook to her knees. Only, suppose I was to dream some of your other work, some day. I don't want to build your bridges, but I might want to write some of your poems. Hadn't you better do something to stop me right now? The smile had come to stay and peeped roguishly out at him from beneath her lashes. No, he answered calmly. If you want my dreams, they're yours. Oh, she said as she rose to her feet and looked down at him wistfully. Your beautiful, beautiful dreams. Ever since that afternoon, I've gone over and over the lines you read to me. The one about the brotherhood of our heart's desires keeps me from being lonely. I think... I think I went to sleep saying it to myself last night, and... It couldn't go on any longer. As Andrew rose to his feet, he gathered together any stray wreckage of wits that was within his reach and managed, by not looking directly at her, to say in a rational, elderly, friendly tone, slightly tinged with the scientific. My dear child, and that's why you built my bridge for me today. You put yourself into mental accord with me by the use of my jingle last night and fell asleep having hypnotized yourself with it. Things wilder than fancies are facts these days, written in large volumes by extremely erudite old gentlemen, and we believe them because we must. This is a simple case, with a well-known scientific name, and— But— interrupted Caroline Dara, and as she stood away from him against the dim hills, her slender figure seemed poised as if for flight, and a hurt young seriousness was in her lifted purple eyes. I don't want it to be a simple case with any scientific. And just here a merry call interrupted her from upstream. Phoebe and Polly had come to summon her back to the club. Tea was on the brew. With the intensest hospitality, they invited Andrew to come too, but he declined with what grace he could and made his way through the tangle downstream as they walked back under the beaches. Thus a very bitter thing had come to Andrew severe, and sweet as the pulse of heaven. In his hand he had seen a sensitive flower unfold to its very heart of flame. Never let her know, he prayed. Never let her know. End of chapter 6